What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Ryan Hayes. Ryan is a geologist by training, but a musician, uh, as he's more well-known, he was on the TV show The Voice with his duo Midas Whale. He's got a rock opera called Deep Love that, that's achieved some things we're going to talk about today. And he spent hundreds of hours working towards mastery and songwriting. And we're going to talk about creativity and, and a bunch of things today. Okay, what we have here is, not, is much more than just a fun project. It's actually economically like viable. Like if we if we focus on it. It could turn into something that could further our careers and also make some money. And we begun that path, you know. It's you wouldn't think that in Salt Lake City or you know the surrounding mountain regions you'd be able to sell tickets to a show like this. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founder started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Today on the show, we've got Ryan Hayes. Ryan is a geologist by training, but a musician, uh, as he's more well-known. He was on the TV show The Voice with his duo Midas Whale. He's got a rock opera called Deep Love that, that's achieved some things we're going to talk about today. And he spent hundreds of hours working towards mastery in songwriting. And we're going to talk about creativity and, and a bunch of things today. Ryan, thanks for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Jess. Let's start off with, with a few of these things. So the rock opera, Deep Love. You guys have had some great things happen. I mean, after five years of workshopping it, you were at the uh, New York Musical Theaters Festival. Is that correct? Yeah, the New York Musical Theater Festival. They call it Nymph. What was that like? It was awesome. We kind of got taken under the wing of the festival, which meant we got to work with some of the finest people in the industry, people that work regularly on Broadway, you know, dancers, directors, uh, uh all of the all of the backstage type people, the um, the people that call the show, and 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 then at the at the end of the day, we get to perform in front of all of the all of the big money people and big idea people that come out to see the show and to make an appearance. 
That's awesome. Well, and we're going to put some links. Uh, so anybody who's you know listening to this, maybe commuting to work, we'll put the links for uh, some of the YouTube videos, giving people a little bit of a taste for the show. But for people who have not been to a, a rock opera that you dress up to come to as an audience member, tell us about Deep Love. Deep Love is an experience. It's much more than... I mean, it is about the music, but it's much more than music because the audience member makes an effort to to arrive and we do our best to put them in the right mood in order to tell them a story. And the, the show is a story told by song. It's got four characters in it. And in the end, everybody kind of ends up sympathizing with one character or another based on their own... Uh, their own unique definition of what love is and, uh, and who they think the victim is. <laughs> um, and so describe what it's like to put together something like this, where you've got a big live band right on stage with the actors and the singers. And, um, what's that process like to, to invent something with that many moving parts? Well, uh, it was never intended to get that big. Uh, it kind of exploded the, the, in the very beginning when we started doing it um, we had kind of coyly put together this thing and, and approached some people and said hey do you want to be a part of my rock opera and, and we found immediately that instead of you know having to coax people into it people were throwing themselves at it yes I want to do it let me be this you know let me do this and so we ended up with like a 30 person ensemble on stage with horns and strings and stuff like that we had to downsize actually in order to keep it practical for business purposes wow so um in the recent past we've kind of i mean it's been five years in the workshopping so we've figured out what works and what components we absolutely need in order to like to convey the story and put on a good show uh the show is much less a musical theater piece as it is a rock opera uh, basically a concert rock and roll concert so so it's in a lot of ways it's easier than putting on a musical because we're not dealing with set we're not dealing with choreography although we have had to do those things in the past we've kind of refined it to this point where it, it works best as as a few people standing in front of four mics the sound is really good. We've got the, you know, we have a sound designer, we've got a lighting designer, and the band is just finely rehearsed, and, they, and they've been together for three years now or more, some of them. And so, so putting it together now actually is not too hard, apart from the, just the managerial aspects of it. Wow. Well, um, I think that uh, you and John might have the most original marketing idea ever john lewis you know formerly on american idol of going on the tv show the voice to try and drum up drum up interest in the rock <laughs> opera T tell us about how it got started and and you know how you made it from a you know audition of forty thousand people trying out to actually being on national television yeah um my roommate might break in here in a second it sounds like he's waking people up um <laughs> If that happens, I don't know if you want to pause it or what. <laughs> sure, we'll edit. Stitch it together. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, in the whole reason behind going to California and auditioning for The Voice was, number one, pure adventure. 
And then number two, uh, let's talk to producers. Let's talk to anybody we can about Deep Love. And so we did. We ended up getting, you know, the, the producers liked us. They got our whole story. We told them all about Deep Love. When they would ask uh, anything more or less than Deep Love, we would always find a way to bring it back to Deep Love. And even when Carson Daly came on to, to interview us before the blind auditions, you know, we had we had it all worked out. And through clever editing, they were able to completely like erase any trace <laughs> of deep love and, and, and roll with a different story, I guess. And, uh, and because we didn't give them anything substantial, I think, I think the, the twist that they took was, here's a couple of goofballs from Idaho. And, and people liked us. I mean, I guess we're funny in our own way, but, uh, Definitely you made was. you made Carson Daly laugh when you when you're talking about you know going on a show like The Voice people expect more pop or whatever and you're saying things like folk I mean it's a sensation it's a and you're making you're getting Carson <laughs> Daly laugh so that's something yeah well yeah I, yeah I'm not a t- it's kind of like that uh, you ever heard that Buck Owens song Act Naturally Mm-mm. Uh, they're gonna put me in the movies they're gonna make a big star out of me. Um, the, let's see, the, it's basically, they'll, they'll give me an Oscar cause I can play the part so well, but all I have to do is act naturally. Um, because I'm a big dummy and, you know, just, and it was interesting because we went on TV, not in order to further our musical career necessarily, but they loved us. I mean, the producers thought that we were a hoot, but it was just us being normal, <laughs> You know, and I didn't quite know how to take it because they'd say, "Oh, you guys are so funny," but I wasn't really trying to be funny all the time. <laughs> You're like, "Is that yeah. a compliment in in secret?" Yeah. yeah. So, and I kind of i I fed that a little bit, you know. Uh, being being less serious just helps you avoid the hard questions, you know, because they try and dig deep. Oh, when did you first decide you wanted to do music? And oh, tell us about your mother and. You know, they're trying to like bring out the tears and things like that. And nah, you just, just went for comedy. Let's let's just be yeah. Let's just answer every question as indirectly as we can, and yeah, <laughs> try and get a laugh. Well, it worked. Okay, so for for people who for people who don't watch the TV show The Voice, um, tell us a bit about like who the judges are, what it means to get four chairs turned around. What does that all mean? So all the judges are they're they're called coaches technically. They sit with their backs turned to you and you walk out on stage and you sing. If they like you, they turn around. There were four our season. It was Adam Levine, Blake Shelton, Usher, and Shakira. We went out on stage and they all turned around. It was awesome. It was And that that means they're voting to like you by spinning their chair. Yeah, that they're all vying for you to be on their team. Mm. And so then they kind of have like a little friendly quarrel and they try and present a good argument to you and you get to decide who you want. And uh, against our better judgment, just kidding. Uh, We love him. Uh, (laughs) We went with Adam Levine, Uh, which was fun. And I mean, it was TV, you know, it was, he's supposed to be your coach. Uh, He's supposed to coach you. So... Uh, with reality TV, because it's not real, they have to try and make it seem like 
something real is going on. So they, so they'll get you, get a couple of shots of you, like sitting in front of Adam Levine and him saying something inspirational and then presto, you're a good singer, you know, or something like that. <laughs> and for people that don't know, this is Adam Levine from Maroon 5, right? Yes. Not Adam Levine from Crest Toothpaste or <laughs> any other spokespeople. <laughs> so, um, what what did you not expect? What was there about that experience that was fun or unexpected? The the experience of the voice. Actually, the the best part about everything was meeting the other contestants. Hmm. Um, we got. I mean, we we spent a whole month in a hotel with hardly anything to do. They would do some. You know, we'd have a. A light schedule, you know, we do fittings on such and such a day, but like it was all, they, they quarantined us. They didn't want us to get away. They, we, we weren't allowed to go across the street without signing out. We could not go anywhere. And so like we got so. And why is that? Uh, so that, so that it doesn't leak out who's going to win stuff either, before it airs. I think both that and just the, your liability it, being under their care because they have quarantined you. Mm-hmm. Okay. They've sequestered you, and and so it, you know if I get hit crossing the street, then they're somewhat liable. I mean, naturally they would be able to avoid that with all of their lawyers, but um, just to be safe. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, what was the question? I don't know. <laughs> probably wasn't important. Oh, the best part about the voice it was just just getting to know the the. Uh, the contestants. Yeah, t- tell us about a cool contestant that you made friends with. Well, the probably the most significant of all of them would be Amy Whitcomb. She, we found out that she had gone to BYU, so she was in the local Utah area. Um, she's actually from Florida, but she just has this rock and roller voice. So, coming out of the voice experience, we were able to take her on and say. Well, first it was kind of like, hey, do you want to be in a rock opera? And she was kind of like, oh, sure, if I don't have anything else going on. But then she got into it and she just absorbed the role and she loved the character that she was playing. And now she is this character, right? And so three years later, we're, she's still with the show. She like, She's indispensable for us. And we wouldn't definitely wouldn't have had that unless it were for The Voice. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk about uh, briefly because it's like an awesome tangent. You're also like a, a professional geologist who like goes to places like Chile to help with gold mining. Yes. Yes. They need a lot of help gold mining down there. <laughs> now I know, uh, from family members of yours that, uh, that rocks are kind of a family tradition, aren't they? With, from grandpa. Yeah, Grandpa was a geologist, and uh, my dad always made sure that we had a healthy dose of geological excursions growing up, but I kind of found it on my own path, to be honest. It's not one of those things that's inherited, and when I went to college for the first time, I was interested in dinosaurs. I was like, what the heck is that all about? I never really thought about the age of the earth or why some things are the way they are and my geology 101 class just blew my mind they gave me all these different principles and models to 
base the world off of, and then I could take those in my mind and look at anything in nature, any rock, weird rock anomaly sticking out of the ground, and say, oh, here's a plausible explanation for why we're seeing that. You know, it's like a really cool uh, thing. It just opened my mind to geologic time and and how insignificant our little existence is here. Especially no mine. What. Especially mine. Yeah, especially mine. And, it's, and that's a really good perspective to have, actually, because I've found, you know, being on TV and things like that, some people actually think that they are the center of the universe and that time did not exist before they entered the scene. <laughs> um, well, listen, I think we can let everybody know that the real reason that, that we're having you on the show today is our marketing efforts for your friend's dinosaur. And so if everyone will pay attention, <laughs> we can know that the real reason Ryan is on is because of the, the uh, most interesting business opportunity call I've had in a really long time. <laughs> tell, no. tell me, tell me about, uh, tell us about this. No, this is uh, only somewhat in, in joking. Uh, <laughs> Yes, I have friends that are in the paleontology business, and yes, they there are dinosaurs that are that have been dug out of the ground. One in particular that I'm excited about, um, which is basically the largest predator of the Jurassic that's never that has not been scientifically classified and stuff like this, and. And as a commercial paleontologist, my friend sells these dinosaurs. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I could definitely hook somebody up out there if they've got some significant money lying around. The, the, the whole thing behind dinosaurs, some people will be like, oh, that, isn't that illegal? But no, like the, the amount, so academic paleontologists, a lot of people don't know this, they don't actually get a lot of field time. Most of the scientific discoveries happen because of commercial paleontologists and because they're out there digging in the ground they're trying to find whatever they can get their hands on to make molds sell sell dinosaurs but occasionally a big scientific discovery comes along in the hands of a commercial paleontologist and they do everything by the book they've got everything ironclad paperwork and uh and the, the dinosaur trade is alive and well today and i can help you <laughs> okay. So for, for all of us, um, who, you know, our primary reference for dinosaurs comes from Steven Spielberg movies. Um, help, help me understand what it means to be the, the largest carnivore from the Jurassic period. So what, what period is the T-Rex from, for instance? The T-Rex is from the Cretaceous period, okay. the very end of the Cretaceous. He died out at the great extinction event. Okay. 65 million years ago. So, so this dinosaur, basically what I'm asking, is it bigger or smaller than a T-Rex? Like, how, how, what are we talking about here? It's comparable in size. It's, it's probably a little smaller. Um, but definitely the, the most formidable dinosaur of his day. So he, was the T he was the Michael Jordan of his day. Yeah. He, he was the Michael Jordan. He, you know, this, this species grows up to 40 feet long, you know, just like a T-Rex, but the... Um, their skulls aren't quite as robust, but they're big dinosaurs. They're kind of more similar. It's actually called a Torvosaurus, kind of similar to a uh, 
fucking Allosaurus. They're in the same uh, the same time period as Allosaurus and stuff. Just looks like a really big Allosaurus, kind of to the layperson. Hmm. And so, don't most people like you know they'll buy something like this for five million bucks, and maybe they want to name it after themselves or something, and then donate it to the Smithsonian or some fancy museum? Oh yes, and we have the means to make that happen. Okay, you heard it here first. If you want to talk to Ryan, if you got five million bucks, burn a hole in your pocket. Give me a call. You yeah, email me, and we'll get you together with Ryan, and you can you can name the Michael Jordan dinosaur of his day. You can name, you can name it, and like you can also claim a sizable uh, tax reduction. <laughs> awesome! I can promise. Awesome. Can uh, are we? Can we put pictures of it? Can we put pictures on your page on ideationcollective.com so people can see this thing? I can uh, ask my friend if that's okay, and I think he might. Uh, I think he'd be all for it. Okay, we'll find out. Okay, so um, on the show, a lot of times we like to talk to people who have spent hundreds of hours working at something to to achieve, you know, some level of mastery on this never-ending continuum at something. And you you certainly put in the hours on songwriting. Um, when you think about the skill set of songwriting. What are things that people maybe wouldn't realize about the evolution of, hey, when you first get started, you think it's this way, but after, after enough years, you start to realize this? Or what, what are some of the insights to songwriting? Oh, man. I'm just, uh, I'm probably, I'm, I'm, what am I, 15 years into this whole songwriting thing, and the more I do it, the more I realize that the, the, the more I know, the less I know. Sure. It's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, songwriting is... Do you mean like you realize how much more is out there? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah, or, or you, I mean you take an objective look at yourself and what you've written and what you think maybe what you thought five, ten years ago was really good. Um, kind of sounds like you ripped it off or, you know, (laughs) you know, you, as a songwriter, you're, I'm in it all the time. I mean, I write new songs every day and sometimes something really sticks with me and I love it, you know, but then further on down the line, I'm like, that's not that good. I can do better, you know? And so my, so it is a progression. It's an evolution of thought. And just as your philosophies in life change, your your approach to something will change and maybe that comes with mastery or maybe it just comes with time uh bottom line is i've been doing it long enough that i think my 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 craft has definitely evolved and in my own opinion it's gotten better uh again songwriting is kind of an objective thing sure um well and let's talk about some of the fun things there too. I mean, sounds like you've made just great friendships doing this and, um, coming out of the, the New York musical theater festival. Um, you guys have the invite for the, for the writer's colony. Tell us about the writer's colony. Uh, yeah. So the, while we were out in New York, we, like I said, we performed for a lot of really big shots out in New York and you know what? A lot of them were kind of, like, too good for us. They were like, uh, you know, this is this doesn't this doesn't uh, 
quite strike us. It's not musical theater enough, you know, or it's, you know, it's, maybe it's not traditional enough in, in the way that we approached it. Um, so we got a lot of people that just didn't understand it. And then lightning struck. And one night we had this guy turn out to the show who who's a real big shot. He's the vice president of the Johnny Mercer Foundation, and he loved it. He came, he came to our director afterwards. He says, hey, I came here to vet you, but I'm actually, like, really into this production. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about it that I, I want to talk to these guys about bringing them out to a writer's colony. So anyway, we, I mean, that was six months ago, or how long, I don't even know how long ago, five months. And, uh, and I had kind of, he, he interviewed us and stuff like that. And I kind of had thought that he forgot about us. And then the other day, get an email, Hey, you're invited up to the writer's colony in January and I was stoked because from what I've heard it's kind of like Hogwarts um, it's awesome not, it's not something awesome. you can invite yourself or even apply to do you have to be invited and they and it it's it's a huge resume builder some of the the best minds in writing are out there um, engaged in this as mentors and as uh, and as people that are just uh, you know, as writers. And so, so we're going to get the opportunity to rub shoulders with some of the finest in the industry, lots of Broadway workers out there. And, uh, and then at the end of the, the writer's colony, it's out, it's out at the Goodspeed theater, which is a historic theater in Connecticut. Um, they've got a little village out there and they put us up for a week and we just, all we do is write and, and at the end of it all, we get a chance to show off what we've been doing with uh, with the donors of the found of the Johnny Mercer Foundation and other industry people. So, I mean, this is something. It's a, it's another stepping stone for sure, but by far the biggest thing that's happened to us. Very cool. Well, um, besides just going to the website deeploveopera.com, Anything else that people can do to connect or to find find out more about what's going on with Deep Love? Oh, man. It's all about social media these days. Um, I'm, and the more, the more I get into everything, the less I really want to do with social media. <laughs> but it does exist. I mean, go, go look it up on Facebook because I'm, I'm pretty sure that anytime we have something going on, we always notify people we've got a, a mailing list also you can sign up either on our facebook page or on our website deep love deep love opera.com we're at uh deep love opera on facebook at deep love opera twitter and across the board just at deep love opera and we'll, we'll put those links on on yeah. ryan's page on ideation collective.com too so but um let's you know it's interesting. We've had some really interesting interviews recently um, with guys from the skateboarding and snowboarding world who felt like the the constant progression really helped them when they were trying to run businesses of you know progressing and adapting. And we've had special forces soldiers and you know guys specifically from the British uh, twenty two SAS talking about how this quest for progression feels like helped prepare him for entrepreneurship. Um, I haven't thought about it in music before where you're constantly improving. Um, do you think that that 
contributed at all to helping be able to keep the business aspects of the opera together and get everybody where they need to be when they need to be and the, the finances and all that? Uh, we've definitely evolved as people and as uh, businessmen. I myself am a terrible businessman. Uh, and I and I distance myself as much as I can from that side of it. Uh, <laughs> but I think that I, I do think that our willingness to progress and to um, mature as writers helped us to understand that okay, what we have here is not is much more than just a fun project. It's actually economically like viable. Like if we if we focus on it. It could turn into something that could further our careers and also make some money, and we and we've begun that path. You know, it's you wouldn't think that in Salt Lake City or you know the surrounding mountain regions you'd be able to sell tickets to a show like this, or to or to get enough fan backing to to even have a demand, but. I think that it's just it's it's fresh enough, it's cool enough. We're not trying to market it towards a specific person. It just is what it is. Um, but because it's fun and it's and we love doing it and it's still fun after all this time, um, I think that has a natural draw to people. People want to be involved in something that's fun and awesome. And every time I go back to it, it's like I'm a yeah, I'm a creator of it, but the project doesn't belong to me solely. Um, you know, everybody that's ever had a hand in it has affected it in some way, has affected the sound. You know, it could be the guitar player who has a certain tone or, you know, something. And uh, and as a result, all of those people that have been involved directly with the show, you know, it rubs off on their friends or on their families. It's become kind of a cult classic type ordeal. Where now, when we change something slightly, people are all up in arms, like, oh, why did you do that? <laughs> you, know, <it's> like, <laughs> you don't have a right. And uh, so anyway, it's, it's, it's pleasant. I love the culture that Deep Love has created. It's, it's, a, it's such a unique project. And because it's, it's so, it, it lands so strongly with people, it's one of those projects that I can't leave behind. It's one that I continuously go back to every year, um, even multiple times a year. And I couldn't imagine where I would be without that specific project. That's a riot. Well, you know, thinking from a business perspective, obviously having something awesome, whether it's a product, service, you know, the music, it's kind of like the prerequisite to even be allowed in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but then... But there's a lot of great music nobody's ever that hardly anybody's ever heard, or there's great products nobody ever saw, right? When yeah. it comes to attracting people to want it from you, you know, to want to be musically entertained from you guys, how is that? What does that look like in the creative process as far as designing the experience or making musical changes? What are those conversations like in the team of like what's an example of something you guys changed to help make it more attractive? Um. Well, for my part, I think just allowing for, you know, not canonizing it, allowing it for growth, allowing it to grow. Uh, things naturally through 
natural selection will either go extinct or they will evolve to a point where they they can thrive. And with with our project, I think just having partners that understand things a little better. You know, John Lewis is extremely um, mind, geared and minded towards uh, how people will receive it, you know. Me, I'm a little bit more closed off to like, oh, well, if they don't like it, they don't like it. Um, John and like having John and Garrett on board as producers, uh, I mean, I can't think of something we've specifically done. Well, who, who um, came up with the idea of having the, the audience dress up? Um, I don't remember. That was from the very beginning. We just said that we just said funeral attire recommended because it was kind of like they're going to a funeral. And, and I couldn't have, have, I could not have imagined or projected that that would have become a thing, you know, we just thought it was funny. Well, I remember going and it's like hilarious. Like it's not Halloween, but it kind of seems like it. I know. And, and the weird thing is people really enjoy it. It's cosplay, you know? And so people now they come as the characters of the show. Um, but I don't know. There, there's, for example, uh, uh, yeah, I guess branding is always a thing. Uh, as a business person, you got to be aware of um, something that we did in our second or third year was we took the time and spent the money to actually brand the show. Fortunately, I have a sister that is a graphic designer who can help me out from time to time. Um, so getting that branding, you know, kind of get that logo that when people see it, they say, ah, yes, when's that happening? Or even um, in, the, in the beginning, we didn't have the character Old Bones in full skull paint. He was just kind of like a floating ghost. Not he didn't actually float, but he just had like this pale skin. And then after a while, we tried it out once, you know, with this, with full skull paint, and it was a riot. People loved that. It. it was scary, right? And and so yeah, we cater a little bit once once little we experimentation, see, little testing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all about testing. Once we see some people react in a certain way to something that we've done, we run with it. You know, we've done other things, like we did dancers and things like that. And um, I mean, we just don't, because we didn't have the means to fully produce it or fully focus on that aspect of it, you know, we'll see that, oh, you know, it was, it was good. The dancing was good, but it's not like, it's not like something that ignites a fire. Um, so, so we have to just be aware of like, okay, what are people talking about? And so, and that's one way that social media does help. Oh, I wish deep love would do this, you know? And then, Hey, that's kind of a good idea. Maybe we'll try that. And we'll try it. If it works, it works. <laughs> well, um, thinking about marketing or branding, um, I'm always asking our guests, you know, with our charity child rescue for, for advice about ways they think we could get the word out more to help you know, have people want to help children escape from child trafficking. And you've, you've been a big supporter of uh, child rescue and the youth program backyard broadcast over the years. So we appreciate that. Um, any, any thoughts that come to mind for you, if you were telling us how we could help spread the word more? Oh man, you just started, uh, like it, it repeated, it like looped your voice several times. So I didn't get your question. <laughs> I was saying, um, You've been a big supporter of Child Rescue and the youth program, The Backyard Broadcast. And uh, we're always asking guests for advice on 
how they think we can do an even better job at getting more people involved in wanting to help kids escape from child trafficking and, and protect more children. Do you have any ideas for us based on your experience uh, that you think we could be looking at? Man, I think that you guys are doing an awesome thing. First off, I did not personally, I did not realize that such things were going on until my sister got involved with your cause. And then she started showing me stuff and giving me statistics and things like this. I did not know that it happened in your backyard. So I think that the key really is just information and uh, being bold enough to talk about this serious thing. Uh, you know, we, we live in a comfortable world. We don't, I mean, when things are removed from us, you know, the whole, the Syrian conflict, we just, you know... We're like, oh, that's too bad, and then we kind of go and uh, watch a movie or whatever, because that's how we re that's how we respond to things in life by going back to our own our old comforts. But I think that a matter like this is 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 a matter of getting out of your comfort zone and being bold enough to talk about it and being bold enough to get being involved or passionate enough to get actually informed on it. Um, I, yeah, I mean, what else can you do? We're, we're kind of, we're, there's a lot of ways that we're stuck with, uh, you know, corruption uh, and things like that that get in the way. But I know that if everyone, you know, if, uh, for example, if, uh, if 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 it weren't an okay thing to think of like paying for sex or you know just just to kind of eliminate some of these ideas that are ideas that have been around as long as the world has stood um, that's that's the best step I think that we can take towards a better world yeah you know um I do like, you know, every time somebody says something like, well, that's been around since the Bible, it's not like you're really going to get rid of it. Uh, I like to talk about black slavery in America, which had been around mm -hmm. since the Bible, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel yeah. like, you know, this country actually has a track record at doing things that hadn't been done before, putting the man on the moon, you know? So, well, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, thinking about all of your experience and, and what you've been working at the last 15 years, for people who want to be more creative or, or, you know, maybe they're building a business or innovating in somebody else's company and, and they want to be more creative, come up with better ideas, are there any books that come to mind, whether they're, you know, about songwriting or not, or creativity things that you would recommend for people to expand their influences? Hmm. Books. I can't, I can't say that I know of any like books on how to, I think that reading in general is a great thing to make your mind churn and to th yeah. think and to, and to mold and to develop ideas. Uh, I mean, it can be fiction, right? I think that, I think that someone that reads a lot of fiction actually has a leg up on everyone else. You know, you could you could read because it pushes the boundaries, or why? I mean, I'm all about Harry Potter and Hogwarts, but why? Why do yeah, you think? I, because I think that it it inspires you with ideas, 
you know, if you're reading The Count of Monte Cristo and you're like, oh, what if Edmond Dantes had done this or whatever, <laughs> you know, you're, and you're, and it, it makes your mind kind of, it, it, you're sympathizing with characters and, and you're creating this, I mean, you're creating landscapes and scenarios in your mind without any visual aid. And, and that is a very powerful tool for creation. Um, I think that it is, it is okay to like go out and, and find a book that says, you know, how to write a song and, and maybe start there. But I, but I think that some of those people that have written those kinds of books have actually taken the time to, to explore a depth of their own creativity beyond, beyond what somebody tells them is the right method. And so that's kind of, I guess my, my own philosophy is that there are, there is no one method and, and that you don't need permission or, you know, or, or to follow a, a model to do something well. Um, it's rock and roll, man. It's, uh, yeah, I love it. Find your own approach. No, you think about how many, how many things we've got today that, resemble something that was on Star Trek 30 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting how much real life can imitate fiction. You know, I, I'm kind of a junkie for the, the Jason Bourne genre books. I think I've read yeah. maybe 150 in that series. And uh, wow. so not that series, but I'm saying that genre. And uh, yeah. certainly as we get, you know, these former Navy SEALs, former FBI, former Delta Force guys who help out child rescue like <laughs> my realm of what's possible, <laughs> maybe isn't that founded yeah. in reality, but in some ways they're kind of used to a lot of, you know, a lot of higher ups in their bureaucracies who don't want to take a career risk of one of the guys being able to take a risk in the field. And uh, a number of them have actually been like su- super excited to be a part of child rescue and to actually be able to, like get work done and and come up with new ideas that the higher ups in their bureaucracies would have never taken the career risk on them in the yeah, past, you know. Oh, totally. And and thought about I that. Love way. About you guys, it's <laughs> rock and roll. It's like it's it's when you if if you never take the time to imagine what a world could be like in a you know under different circumstances, then then your neighbor then you you'll never actually take that first step. So, you know, you got to have an imagination and, uh, and yeah, I just love it. I just love how rock and roll it all is. <laughs> it's going to be our new tagline. Child rescue, <laughs> rock and roll. Okay. Rock and um, roll. <laughs> well, listen, we appreciate all the things you shared and the, and the things that you, you've talked about, um, for people who do have a dream and they've got something creative in them that they, they feel like they need to get out. Um, do you have any advice for just innovators or creators of, of you know, whether it's the best advice you ever got or, or just advice in general? Oh, man, the best advice. Uh, I would just say create, 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 and that be prolific because it doesn't matter if it's good. It really doesn't. I have written lots and lots and lots of bad songs. Um, every song gets me that much closer to writing something that 
connects with me or connects with somebody. Even some of my bad songs, actually, they connect. I mean, not bad songs, but like songs that I didn't really take to, they'll, you know, somebody will take to it. And so if you just continue to create, I feel like, I feel like you can't go wrong. It doesn't matter if it takes your whole life. Eventually something good will come from it. Yeah, certainly an endurance sport, isn't it? Yeah. That's great. Well, hey, man, thanks for being on the show and uh, appreciate your time. I do appreciate being here, Jess. Thanks for all you do. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash childrescue. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.